welcome to the Becoming Us podcast. Sponsored by Yonder Limited, experts in project management and business support service. Hello and welcome to the Becoming Us podcast. I'm Christine. I'm Shenda. I'm Siobhan. And I'm Winnie. Today we will be discussing the struggles of baby loss in the black and minority ethnic communities. We have been researching this issue for several months. However, due to the recent events in America with the death of George Floyd, a lot more research has been recently issued. According to to research completed by the Biomedical Centre in 2016, which looked into two hospitals in the UK, they found that 80% of Caucasian women that had suffered baby loss went on to access bereavement support, whereas only 3% of African, Afro-Caribbean and Asian women accessed the same support, which is a huge difference. More recently, earlier this month, there was a petition to improve maternal mortality rates and healthcare for black women in the UK. BAME women in the UK are five times more likely to die during pregnancy and childbirth compared to white women. And that was a report issued by the MBR race. The government recently responded, informing us that they've issued a policy research unit in maternal and neonatal health and care study into factors associated with the higher risk of maternal death for black and South Asian women. We recently contacted University of Oxford and spoke with their prenatal unit on whether they have specific research on BAME women and whether that research shows whether they've accessed bereavement services after losing a baby. They've informed us that due to recent events, they have started doing this research and Professor Knight is focusing on that particular research and will get back to us so we can give you an update on a later episode. So we are four individual women from different BAME backgrounds and we'll just give you a quick insight into that. So I'm, my par- I'm born here, born and bred here in London, but my parents are Sri Lankan. I was born in London. My parents are Grenadian, um, but I was raised partially in London and in Grenada. Um, my, I was born here in London. My parents, my mum's Guyanese and my dad's Jamaican. I was born in Uganda. I came here when I was four years old and so I'm familiar with more of the London life than I am the Ugandan one. So you're basically born and bred in London, isn't it? No, I'm not born. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> born I'm bred. born in Uganda. I was bred in London. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. And what brings us all together mainly is that of recent we've all had um baby loss of some kind um i've had uh five my had a daughter who was five weeks old who died suddenly in 2018 shen i had a miscarriage last year so 2019 at about nine weeks so it was fairly early i had um neonatal death my daughter died at four months uh, last July and I had a stillbirth in 2011 I'm still trying to overcome the thoughts and feelings around that it's a pretty very grim subject we're discussing today but I think what we all have in common is that we didn't really address our experience and our grief and um, 
we didn't access any support. I think Shiv is the only person that, out of all four of us, that is actually um, accessing bereavement support. So it'd be interesting to know how she felt about that. So if we just, we're just, I'm just going to kick off, just give you insight into my own personal story. So my daughter was five weeks old when she died suddenly in 2018, and it was quite traumatic how it happened because my eldest two sons um, witnessed her stop breathing. Um, my family really struggled with talking about my daughter Rose, that was her name, particularly my dad, who's, I don't mind saying, is a typical Sri Lankan father. However, my, my husband's family, who are white, were incredibly encouraging towards my husband, and even his sister posted on Facebook that she was doing a sponsored run in memory of Rose, which I thought was really sweet. Um, but with my family, I couldn't face talking about my loss because um, nobody wanted to address it, and instead I felt that if I had talked discussed it or started talking about Rose, it would mean I wasn't being normal or moving on because that's how I felt in, especially particularly in the Asian community, you don't really dwell on things, you're just meant to carry on. And after speaking with Shen, Shiv and Winnie, um, we sort of felt the similar experiences and felt the same. So um, well, I guess the question I want to ask is, when we looked into this, studies showed that baby loss triggers a wide range of psychological and physiological problems, including depression, anxiety, stress, and even guilt. It, what's concerning about the figures that I mentioned at the beginning, only 3% of baby women had um, access bereavement support after a loss. And what's concerning is that baby women, of, women of baby backgrounds are not addressing their trauma. So, you know, how, what do you guys think about that being, having experienced yourself? I mean, me personally, I, I feel like I wanted to access that support. I wanted people to talk about it. I wanted to have that space to discuss it. But like you said, within, you know, black and uh, minority ethnic communities, it seems that the general consensus is, even though we're, we're all quite different, people don't like to talk about things like that. No one wants to, no one wants to talk about it. So, I mean, <clears throat> when it... When it happened for me, um, obviously I was quite early, so I, I feel like my <laughs> my story in comparison to everybody else's is probably not maybe not as traumatic because I, I didn't have the chance to build a bond with a baby. There was there was but no. Maybe that's the problem because if, especially a lot of people have ex quite. It is common to get a miscarriage, mm -hmm. but it is very traumatic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think because it's so common, it's kind of just like, well, this happens all the time. Get used to it. You can try again. And then after that, I, I feel like I didn't want to. I was scared because I was just thinking, I don't want to go through this again. It's painful, like extremely painful. No one tells you how painful it is to have a miscarriage. You know, just you even physically or physically painful, yeah. but emotionally painful as well, because you don't get a chance to process the pain because you're going through it. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's not like it happens and then you can get over it. It's like it's happening and it yeah. keeps happening for a while before it's before it's over with. So Are you offered any help? After no, I wanted to. So when it when it when I so I realized that there was no heartbeat at six weeks. And I think that's when the heartbeat is supposed to start. So I realised that there was no heartbeat at six weeks and the doctor has said to me that I have two, there's two choices here. It's either the baby's really early or you're going to miscarry. 
and that was literally how it was put to me <laughs> so I was like oh okay so I was trying to do the maths and I was like well there's no there's no chance that this is an early baby this is probably a miscarriage so I was trying to just prepare myself for a miscarriage um and then it was just like okay well off you go now kind of thing so I didn't I didn't really feel I don't think so I was given I was given the sheet of what my diagnosis was and it just said there um threatened miscarriage in bold (laughs) yeah it means that you're gonna miscarry probably that's basically what it means and I tried to I was like well can you check my uterus can is is what can you see lovely it's beautiful you just need to so they sent you home to have the miscarriage yes that's what happened and I had a holiday booked so I miscarried in Thailand Oh my god. <laughs> Me and so my what partner. was the aftercare? Did you have a doctor ring no. you up? No. No aftercare. It was literally, you're probably going to miscarry. Off you go. And, and that was it. you didn't take it seriously because it was so early. Yeah. But and that- I think also because I'm so young. I think another thing is, well, you've got lots of time to have children. That's the attitude that I got. Mm. I'm 27, by the way. So it's just like, I just kind of, we just had to get on with it. So on the way home... I was with my partner and he was just trying to be positive about it and he was just like oh don't worry you know like the lady said it could just be young and maybe that and I'm just like yeah I know this isn't like so I'm just gonna try and prepare myself for a miscarriage and then just get on with it so yeah I miscarried in like psychologically that's quite a lot too it is how can you prepare yourself for a miscarriage you can't because you still you still feel attached like everyone it's so funny because people knew that i was pregnant even before i announced it because i looked it Mm. like my face was all rosy and chubby and everyone kept saying oh my god you're glowing and i was just like yeah you didn't deny it you just said i I didn't say anything i was just like yep i am glowing on holiday So, yeah, there was no aftercare offered to me. Um, I did make a complaint to the hospital. And the response that I got was very much, um, well, we spoke to the nurse who in question and she said that she did offer you support. It was just basically denial and that's kind of... Yeah, but do you think that the the lack of um, offer was linked to your your ethnicity, your background, your... Because that's, that's where we need to differentiate. I think it was linked to... Possibly, possibly, because I think there's this myth that black women don't feel pain or we don't mm. feel pain the same way. Mm. I think there's that, but I, th- I also think it's the the whole, well, you're young and you've got lots of time to have children. Mm. Not realising that you're still going through something, you still have emotions, you still are, f- you know, if you are if you want to have a child, you're already starting to build an attachment. Mm. Um, so I think I think a lot of it was linked to my age as well. Because I think if I was a lot older, mm. there would have been a lot more empathy, I think. Mm. Because it's like, oh, well, I can understand you're getting on. But what do they offer at that stage? Um, I don't know. Because I wasn't offered Counseling, I suppose. I I was at that age? Because I, I think there's stages. I think um, there's stages of service offerings. That, and I think people For underestimate... people that experience miscarriage. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm just wondering oh. whether there are. Because there is might, a... Um, the miscarriage association but you have to go searching for that yeah and i'm surprised that the hospital didn't offer you but i think it's like i'm not gonna go and start searching for things like that when i'm feeling sad and you wouldn't know yeah i'm not gonna like google how can i get miscarriage bereavement support they don't offer it they don't signpost you either no it was literally here you go with this paper that said threatened miscarriage in bold letters and you know come back in three weeks and we'll see what your womb looks like and literally that was it and then i went on holiday 
So I just, from the way I was dealt with, I just was like, okay, well, I'm just going to prepare myself to just deal with this. Okay, so when, how, because you've suffered a um, stillbirth, and what are your, um, so what are your thoughts basically on the fact that statistics that women from a BAME background are not accessing support? Personally, my, fam- my family are African, so in their heads it's, it was meant to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't really talk about the aftermath. Of so did someone say that to you, or is that just the understanding? It's just almost an unspoken word that yeah. we, you know, you've had a miscarriage. You won't be the first, and you won't be the last person. Mm. So this just, just, just deal with it, move on, and you can try again next month. Just get on with it. So I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I should be trying to help myself at that point. I just needed to move on quickly mm. and um, we didn't talk about it much apart from just, just, just get, you know, next month you just try again, just try again and that's it and I didn't seek help. I mean I was offered help because I was in the hospital for about a, a week. I just didn't pursue the counselling because I didn't feel ready to speak about it. I, went, I wasn't encouraged by my family to speak about it. And I just went into shutdown mode, and I think I'm still in shutdown mode. I don't try and take myself back to that time. I don't... Like, this This whole discussion is uncomfortable for me, but I think I need to have the conversations at some point. Um, I'm not sure whether my experiences are necessarily linked to my ethnicity or, or, or you know, but I think our ability as BAME women, as a BAME community, to talk about trauma is is... Is limited and I don't know whether that's just you know I don't know where that comes from we just don't talk about stuff we don't talk about it we just been told to stand back up and move on so that's mm. kind of what I did but I'm not sure whether it was because I was coming from a strong point of I need to move on or whether I was just didn't know what to do with the emotion so I just literally shut it down well there was it seems like there was no space for you to even explore it, even if you wanted to no not really I do mean you regret do you regret not doing anything about it i think i probably do now only because um i'm still struggling to talk about it now and it's you know 2011 is a long time and i still struggle to talk about it i still haven't been to the to the burial site i still haven't spoken to my partner about it we don't talk about it really apart from you know passing comments and maybe we should visit the grave site but we just generally don't talk about it and as a family even it didn't matter whether it was a week or, or, or two years or five years. I mean, as a family, we don't even reference that, that experience at all. It's just, you know, I now have two two beautiful boys and people talk about them. They don't talk about the, the past. It's almost like it must stay there. Are you glad of that? Because we celebrate uh, Rose's birthday. I get, like, cupcakes and I ask the boys to uh, blow out a candle and make a, um, a promise that you'll live this particular thing that you blow up, that you think of in your head, in memory of ropes. Like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna to promise to be kind, I'm gonna to promise to be this, I'm gonna see that. Mm. Something that she would have been, because she would have been a kind person. But like I said, I wouldn't even have thought of that if it wasn't for my husband making me feel comfortable about grieving with her. Mm. No, we don't have that. We, I, we don't reference it at all. It's sort of the, the day comes, I think the week comes and we kind of had a, a, like there's this sad cloud that 
you feel you're not sure why you're upset you're not even sure quite whether it's today or whether it was yesterday or whether it was last week but around the same time we generally have a dip in emotion mm. and we still we might say it in passing but we don't we don't have an active conversation about the thoughts and feelings and the emotions you just almost suffer it in silence mm -hmm. you almost i don't even know whether it's a suffering well well it must be a suffering because you're still in pain but you just don't you're bring it forward yeah everything yeah and the, the week comes and then you just move to the next month so his father do you think he also struggles with it as a black man as a black man, he he definitely struggles with it. I struggle, but he takes it on another level. He really did go in like a depression, mm. and that's quite common because even statistics show that you know they mental health in BAME background men of BAME backgrounds um, do suffer from mental health more. And I'm sure if, there's no statistics out there to show is it after um, bereavement or even specifically baby loss bereavement. But um, that's the thing, like no one's, no one's looking into this. Everyone's just, it's such an unspoken, no one's normalizing it. You just don't talk about it. You don't talk about baby loss. I don't think BMEs grieve very well. I think in we, general, yeah. I think actually that there's a there's a they call it a celebration of life, and they you know they'll hold a party, but you know that's all. It's almost like surface mm -hmm. grief, but the the work that that that's required to literally dig deep into how you actually feel and the steps you need to take to move past that point, we don't do that. We don't we don't ring up counselors. We don't have mediation. We don't. We just don't. Actually, can I ask you, Shiv? Because mm -hmm. you know, in uh, Caribbean communities, they um, they have a nine night. So, when it came to you when your daughter died, did you have one? No, no way. That was like. And is it because it's a baby? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because she was four months. Yeah. She what you know? We celebrated her life, I suppose, in our way. But there was there was no. That, that, well, that didn't even come into my mind. I think my partner's dad mentioned it and I was like, no, no. It was just, no, complete shutdown because it's just, it's a sad, a sad situation, you know, we're about to bury our daughter who's a baby, not an adult or someone who's lived life. She didn't get the chance to live life. And for me, a nine night, a nine night is about the celebration of that person's life. Mm -hmm. And if you know you're you're about to bury a child, they haven't really they haven't lived their life. So for me, that wasn't even that wasn't even. Did you have function. uncles at her funeral, like your uncles and people? So we had quite a lot of people at her, at her funeral, and we Did had any? a lot of support and a lot of. It was a a big turnout, much more than what we had expected to be honest and what i'd wanted if i could have just had it as me and him i probably would have but i i knew that that wasn't you know she was a loved baby so that wasn't going to happen but um we had the burial and that was really really intimate so the church service was there was quite a lot of people there and then when we went to bury her that was just like our immediate family and godparents so did, you, did anyone say anything a bit inappropriate or not inappropriate but a bit a bit like oh don't worry you can have another or to be honest i don't think so if they did i don't remember because i'm kind of 
I I'm very much a person that gets on with stuff. I'm I'm a brusher under the carpet and very my mum says I'm very stoic and <laughs> you know, hard faced and girl and, and I am, but this whole experience experience, that's the word, has changed me a lot. I didn't used to talk about things. I was something would happen, I'd be upset about it, I would put I'd be in my feelings about it and then I'd get over it. But now I realise that that's it's with this happening, that was not that wasn't gonna work. That was gonna send me off my head because I need I needed to talk about it. And although You wanna acknowledge her existence, yeah. You yeah. want people to remember her. Yeah, and that's that's my main thing that I don't want people to forget her. So I encourage people to talk to me about it. I don't want people to feel awkward about mentioning her name. I don't want people to pity me. I yes, I've lost my child, but she was here, she was here for a reason, whatever reason that is, and she's not with us anymore. But I don't want her to be forgotten and I will always engage in conversation about it if I'm in the mood for it. But this has changed me a lot because out of all of you, like you've said, I've I've reached out to well, I didn't reach out, but I'm engaging with um bereavement counsel well counselling services psychology um and it's helped me it's helped me a lot it's helped me a lot to be able to just have that outlet um as and when i i need it really um i didn't go looking for it um imam was in hospital for the last five weeks of her life and while she was at great woman street they were really good at offering different services and different things for parents um, to help them, we had massages, we had different stuff whilst we were there and psychology was one of the things that they offered and we took it up whilst we were there, while she was still alive and you know, just spoke about things with this particular lady. Um, once she died, you know, it kind of died down and didn't really hear anything from them. That We, we then had another a meeting about everything that happened with the doctors and stuff like that. And that's where they said, is, that, is this something that you would like to access? Reluctantly, I said yes, because in my mind, I, I was like, well, what's, what's this going to do? It's just going to bring up old feelings every week. I'm going to talk about the same thing. I'm just going to be stuck in this same place. I couldn't see further than the end of my nose. It was just, why, why am I going to go over this every single week? Why am I going to talk about the fact that she's dead and she's not here and she didn't get to experience this? But actually, I've had the complete opposite experience and for me being able to tap into that service has given me the ability to look at life in a different way and I'd be more appreciative of what I have I suppose and you know for whatever reason she got she had this illness and she just wasn't meant she wasn't meant to, it wasn't meant to be and it's taken me a long while a long while to get here but if you I can see a difference in me from seven months ago to where I am now. I'm just thinking, because um, you were handed that service because of the how long you were at Great Peter's, sorry, Great Ormond Street. Great Ormond Street. Yeah. But our, I think what's the difference is that ours happened suddenly and um, there's nothing in place yeah. for women when suddenly they have a baby that's, you know, no longer have a baby in front of mm. them or they're no longer pregnant or they're no longer gonna gonna give birth yeah so how come they don't have these people available when that happens but is it that it's not available 
I think it's available. It's I think available. You have to go and find it. Seems they seems like just go but it. I'm correct. It was at the hospital, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. They're so just not offering it out to. Why wasn't it at the early pregnancy unit for you? Why wasn't it at the labour ward for you? And why wasn't it um, after the chapel for me when I was I was in the church chapel? Do you the know what it is? They then. give you the booklet, don't they? And they expect you to take time to read it to then discover it. So you had a stillbirth, and they gave you a booklet. That's a joke. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I ended up, I, I ended up staying in the hospital for five days in that room that they give you. Yeah. My mum was like, "Get out! It's time to go." And <laughs> <laughs> you can't live here forever. There's a world outside. We were in this bed, literally sleeping in this bed. But I think, I don't know whether it's them trying to give you the space to grieve or to get over it or whatever. But who's going to read through this booklet? No one. You're not going to read through no booklet. So unless someone comes in and says, "This is the service we offer. Take yeah. it up and follow it up." Do you think that has a lot to do with funding? I don't know. No, because it's a funding there, issue. It's just there, in terms of who it? they offer it to, because like the, the only reason why I say that is because they must think they. I'm just guessing. That they're thinking, oh well, you know, she just kind of you just started your pregnancy, so and especially really no point offering of you anything members. right now. So mm. just go and get on with it. Because literally, there was another lady that I met, and she was a lot nicer, um, an, an African lady, and she tried to kind of you know talk me through her? it. Um, this was at, I don't know if I should say the name of the hospital, but it was at a hospital. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It was a miscarriage. No, just I think it was after I'd gone to the early pregnancy unit. I was sent to the maternity place. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a ward or anything. Yeah. It was just where they do your checks and stuff. Yeah. Um, and she was just like, "Oh, so I've seen that you've had a um in on the system. It says that it's a threatened miscarriage, so you you might miscarry." Um, and she she was just trying to talk me through. She said, hey, "No, it's okay, you know." These things happen to so many women, you know, but it's okay because you can have another one. Yeah. So you can just and that doesn't do, how did that make you feel she, at that point? But I, mean, I think, to be honest, her approach was a lot more gentle. She was kind of saying the same stuff, yeah, but her approach was saying. a lot more gentle. And she was just like, it's okay, my sister, you know, I know what you're feeling. I know, I know what you're feeling, but it's okay. You can just, you know, you and your, your partner is here. You are here together together you like do you know she was trying to be a lot more like gentle and a lot more like warm about it whereas in the early pregnancy unit it was cold mm. <laughs> they were like here's your leaflet piss off next mm. like so i even though she was saying the same stuff and i weren't really trying to hear it at that time um afterwards i did feel a lot more comforted by what she said yeah than what the other is it because said. you can relate to her because she was a woman of and because she's black she's yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's not be around the bush here. The, the hue of her skin was <laughs> yeah no she was black she was black i think so but it's for me it's not just because of that i think it's it's her approach she was trying to be understanding she was personal but you know what? yeah you, you you say that and it's true because actually although i was in the hospital for a long time it was the other with black and Asians that were more they felt like they could relate to my experience and I was listening more to what they were saying than to the other doctors and yeah. I don't know whether it was the way that they were telling me the same thing but they're all saying the same thing so yeah it felt like less of a conveyor belt yeah yeah it was clinical yeah. yeah they just it felt like 
in out with the other people yeah whereas with this lady i sat there even after she'd done what she was meant to be doing we just sat and had a chat by the computer for mm. an extra five ten minutes and she, she it didn't seem like she was rushing me out or anything yeah. um she didn't again she didn't offer me any like psychological she didn't signpost me to anything but just her being a, a bit more warm about it made me feel slightly better mm-hmm. um so i think even at that point they could have i mean yes you have to give out leaflets but still at least speak about something and say you know if you are feeling this type of way you know you can use this service or here's this number phone these people yeah. and it's okay and you know whatever but it was literally just you can try again you know like it's yeah. <laughs> like well, I suppose the NHS is stressed and I'm not even yeah. trying to back the NHS but I mean I do love the NHS I must say because they have treated me well generally but mm. the NHS is stressed and they do have to work through their priorities and I suppose if there's a, they get to a point where there's nothing more they can do to, for you they haven't got the, the space got the, the, the availability mm. the time to comfort everybody that walks in their doors it's just a case of yeah there's nothing more we can do can you the next one's due mm. she's outside so you do have to just get but even if that is the case they they being made to feel like that is a completely different scenario you you know we could we could in the work that we do we could mm. we, we could take that stance mm. and and where would we get we wouldn't get anywhere so the fact that yes the nhs is is under pressure it's stressed whatever but at that moment you're dealing with that woman who's lost her baby whether she's lost the baby at six weeks or six months or post neonatal you deal with that woman as an individual you deal with that woman she's been through a trauma it doesn't matter whether you how long you've carried that baby you carried that baby you've lost that baby why are we not offered Hmm. well is it because they're not educated on the barriers that um women of bane bane backgrounds face um do you think that the nurses midwives uh, antenatal support they should all be educated on our barriers that like you say coming from um, your background and mine like my parents they just didn't, didn't want to discuss it they just wanted to feed me all the time after you know post um, when maybe they should be thinking about yeah lots of women either are from a background where it's not discussed where it's not acceptable mm-hmm. whereas you don't talk about it you're not supported through that journey so maybe they need to take a few extra steps to offer you um, the service, but then have a follow up and a consultation. Yeah, and just try uh, and yeah. Get that would have been nice. Mm. What's shocking for me is that they knew that my child, my eldest children, had even they were like thirteen at the time and ten. They had witnessed their baby sister stop breathing, mm. blood coming through her nose, and suddenly dying. And they they sent a letter from St. Christopher saying, you know, bereavement support to call this number. As a family, you can do that. But no one checked up on us and I could be passing this trauma through to my sons and then they, they, it's going to make them trauma. It's a safeguarding issue, isn't it? It is. This is that, that, at that point, I felt like even the children's social care should have at least reached out and said to you, look, I know you've got older children who've suffered of a, a bereavement, mm. and how can we assist you? They, they could have at least visited just once and just said, okay, you know, because it is a safeguarding issue, mm. you know, that's something that could have affected them at school. Well, their school did actually say, oh, you know, we'll keep an eye out for them. But that's, no that one... took you to report that, right? Yeah. I had to report the death, yeah. Mm. No one, no, oh yeah, there's no one that said, you know, oh, by the way, the, you know, this family has experienced this. No one got in touch with the school. It definitely, I think it definitely has a lot to do with the services being overwhelmed. 
and and I guess as a as a community or within our communities, because I hate I hate grouping us all like all that that BAME stuff. I mean, it's cute, yeah, but we're all very different how we yes. how we operate. Yeah. Um, I think within our communities, maybe we need to do more to just kind of support each other and have the, open up the conversations. Yeah, because clearly we can't solely rely on you know the 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 what do you call it the medical and mental health services to kind of be offered to us and i also feel there's a lack of services for black and ethnic minority women because mm. because of this i suppose because we deal with everything and and it's we private. just get on with it and it's you know it's happened we're strong you know we carry on strong. we soldier on we carry on we're, we're these i don't know superhuman people but mm. we're not superhuman like we're thick skin exactly yeah. you cut me and you cut a white lady next to me we're going to bleed the same so you yeah. know i feel like all the services that are offered are are offered to white women of a certain class because i i feel well, that's also what the study said that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is it was 90%, that 90% of uh, Caucasian women that were accessing bereavement support all came from managerial and professional backgrounds. Mm. And it was the unskilled workers and um, unemployed yeah. that didn't access Is it being offered through the hospitals, through the, the GPs, the, the, the pregnancy wards and all of that? Or is it being offered through their jobs? Like, are they... Cause, we, well, we never got it through the NHS. So. It'd be interesting to know where they're getting that support from because mm. if you are in managerial or, you know, you're in a higher paid job, the likelihood is your employer probably has a bit more to... Duty to refer and... Yeah, and also they probably have more access to that kind of funding in order to... Because you know, like, certain jobs, they don't have, like, clinical supervision. They don't have... They don't have somebody you can talk to. They don't have a hotline that you can call if you're feeling stressed at work. Mm. Like, there's certain jobs you, mm. it just doesn't exist. Mm. Whereas some jobs, you do have... Um, you do have that privilege of being able to kind of speak to someone. So I think it says a lot about class. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It says a lot about class as well as race. Well, and I think... a whole different episode. But race and class... <laughs> Race and class are intertwined because we know we know that you know your black and ethnic minority people are more likely to be working class than middle class. We yeah. know that, so it does say a lot about race, even though it's a class issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's twofold from what we're saying. We're saying that we're not offered the services, but at the same time, we're not talking about it and we're not asking for the help. Yeah. Well, Winnie, you were so you didn't want to address it, but when you went back to work, you, did you tell your manager? Well, I did. But did you tell any of your colleagues? Well, I suppose they, I, I, I miscarried at, at eight months. So, well, I didn't miscarry. It was a stillbirth. I gave birth. But I had to, I was, on, I was then on maternity leave. And then I had to return to work. So everybody knew about it in some way. Mm. But for me to deal with it, because I was still on the, the thought process of, I can't believe what's happened. I'm still traumatized. And I don't want to talk about it. So... To avoid talking about it and to avoid the questions, I literally asked for a transfer out of my office to a whole brand new area where nobody knew who I was. Mm. And then it meant you, I can start from the beginning. And because I started from the beginning, I didn't talk about it in my workspace. You didn't address it at all. None. You literally moved I moved on. on. Yeah. And I didn't move on. I just... Blocked it out. Ran blocked, away. Literally, and I, I can say 100%, I still run away. And I think this this whole podcast has caused me 
to relive it. Not to relive it, but also to stop running. Like, yeah. shit, just oh, talk good. about it. Mm. But it's not that I'm happy to talk about it. It's very uncomfortable. But I know it's something that I need to do because it's part of the healing process. But we do need to be more open about these conversations. If I was to talk to my mum today about it, she would be like, but, but baby, you've got two kids now. And yeah. You have another one. So, yeah. yeah. So, I must same. say, though, my sister was very supportive and my sister lives in Grenada. <laughs> so I'm talking about via FaceTime. Yeah. I will call her. You know, I, I, I don't tend to cry in front of my family. It's so weird because I always cry in front of other people. But I never cry in front of my family. And I think it's because everyone has this idea of me being, yeah. you know, the tough one. Like, oh, she didn't have no feelings. So I just kind of like live up to that. Um, but my sister pointed out, she was like, I've noticed you always make a joke out of it. Like everything has to be funny. Like she, she said to me, it doesn't have to be, you do, it doesn't have to be funny. You know, you can actually feel sad and talk about it in that way if that's how you feel. And literally she would ask me all the time, you know, she would, she shared her own experience. I don't think she's ever had a miscarriage, but she's had like her own experiences that she told me about that kind of helped me feel a little bit more comforted. So even though it is a thing in our communities where we don't talk about stuff, I think in like my generation, yeah, she's my she's older than me, but still same generation, it's getting a bit better mm. where people do feel that they can kind of, mm. you know, offer you some support. Because my mum was just like, how are you coping with um, your, you know, you wouldn't even say it. That thing you know what's how's that going okay all right but that's the thing Shen, is that <laughs> it's like it's passed on through our parents yes but it's what they've received as well yeah and it's the story of a woman that's what used to annoy me every woman has been through it you want to be the first and you want to be the last please can i just feel yeah. feel it today <laughs> can you all come together and embrace? so can i ask you this and i just want to know if a lot of our um listeners feel this is worth they've been through baby loss when you go to family gatherings, are you being belly watched post loss? A hundred percent. Is that what happened? I don't think that's a Caribbean thing. I don't know. What, what do you think? Um. Did you even go I'm out? Trying to think. After I'm trying to think. Um. No, no one. You know, people want to ask you. Oh, are you going to try again. to try again? But nobody. Oh, I hate that question. Nobody wants to ask the question. Mm. But you know, it's. Mm. You can see it ticking, tick, tick, tick in their mind. So I would just break the ice and say, you know, we do want, we would like to try for another one. Did, and then they, you kind of see they're like, oh God, I'm glad I didn't have to ask that question. <laughs> like, why, why is it so, why are you so burning to ask this question? Like, I just don't. I don't I, end. I experienced that. <laughs> and then those, so I had to go through uh, having friends who, were pregnant at the same time as me as I was with Rose and when they went ahead and had their children and then I felt like I was looking for a window where I wasn't part of that club anymore so when I lost my child I was like oh I can't you know I'm, I'm here I'm, I can't I couldn't even go to the gym to go swimming because all the babies were there doing at that at that time mm. you know when you're on this maternity leave you don't have a baby the only thing you want to do is try and keep... That's one thing I want to do is try and keep physically fit. Mm. But it was hard. It was really, really hard. And that's when I looked on Instagram and typed in baby loss. And that's when I saw all this baby loss community. And I saw that not there wasn't one influencer, Instagram influencer, that was 
from a BAME background. They that were all actively white. talking about it. Yeah, they were all white. They were all talking about it in these forums. They were all white. Everyone following, talking about their baby loss, but it was all white. Mm-hmm. So, I, although they helped me a lot because it was true what they were saying, because as women we all experience the same in terms of baby loss, one thing. But um, I don't know why, but women from a babe background was not taking part in that conversation, including myself. I guess that's just that boils down to the way we deal with things, and yeah. and that the way that I suppose white people tend to be more open about stuff. They don't, you know, they'll stop for a minute and discuss whatever, but. Whereas we are like, okay, it's happened. We need to get on with it now. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that happened yesterday. Yeah, okay, are we working tomorrow? Let's go. Let's let's see. Let's go. Go 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 go. And that's why probably there's such a high bloody load of black people sectioned every flipping minute because oh, we yeah. don't deal with stuff, which then cause like you know that is traumatic, irrespective of what part of the pregnancy or what part of you know having a child you lose it. It's a trauma and it needs to be dealt with. We can't just be swept under the carpet. And I think, you know, platforms like this, being able to speak freely about it and for other people to recognise that actually, you know, I'm not the only person going through this. I'm not the only person whose family are like, oh, don't worry, you can just try again. Or, oh, you only, you was only, you was only nine weeks pregnant. It doesn't matter. You can just try again. You've got age on your side. No, we don't want to hear that. Mm. And for other people, I think this is kind of, I guess an eye opener really and and to know that they're not alone mm. and I think that's what we could feel I mean I didn't ever feel that because my mum wanted to talk about it all the time and I didn't want to talk about it because that's how I deal with stuff I didn't want to talk to her about it she'd always be asking me questions I don't want to talk to you about it leave me alone I'll talk when I'm ready and eventually I was ready to talk about it and now I can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about it it cuts me deep it cuts me deep deeper than I've ever I'll ever know but I still think for my mental health for me to not go off completely off the rails considering I have a seven-year-old to look after also I have to do I had to do it and now you're showing her how to grieve um in a healthy way yeah do you know what I do think though because with with uh people from um minority ethnic backgrounds where almost all of us are parents, grandparents, or even we are immigrants. And I think that in itself is is a traumatic process. Mm. Um, Moving from one culture to another, moving from one country to another, and having to assimilate and fit in. And I think that's where a lot of the whole get on with it um, kind of mm. comes from because it's like we've dealt with stuff we've been dealing with stuff like yeah. do you know what I mean and this whole you're not the first you won't be the last and I think that's we need to kind of un. it's a process of unlearning I think unlearning that kind of you're strong you can deal with it you know your ancestors had to do this and mm. all of that stuff it's a process of unlearning that first to be able to then reach out for support mm. because yes there may be the issue of us not being offered certain things due to due to race i think that definitely is a factor whether you feel like it's not a personal factor i think it is because we've seen mm. that it is yeah. um but i think also we need to feel empowered to be able to ask for that support as well and i think a lot of that comes from unlearning trauma trauma unlearning to and, and learning the the response to dealing with trauma as i am strong 
Because yeah. that's always my approach. Anytime, anytime I go through something that's traumatic or, or difficult, it's just like, right, I can get through this. Let me look for a solution. Never to work through the emotions. Mm. Never. Because I was raised by somebody who just got on with it, who was raised by someone who just got on with it, who was brought over, you know what I mean? Brought yeah. over to this country and got on with it. So <laughs> It's what we know. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I think it's ingrained about it. It's a strong thing. You're strong for talking about it. Because it's not yeah. easy. It's not easy. No, it's not. And I also, I also wonder, given the fact that all the charities and support groups out there are mainly for white middle class women, maybe that's a, also a turn off for people yeah. of, of black and ethnic minorities. Because if they're, you know, you want to talk to someone that can relate to you, mm-hmm. like you know, with all due respect, they may be doing the best job. At, you know, helping but do you people know my through struggles? it. But exactly. But when you look at me, do you recognise where I'm coming from in terms of I have to be strong because that's all I know because my mum told me that you must be strong and her mum told her that you must be strong and then her mum told her that when we came over, well, we had to deal with this so you've just got to pick that's yourself up and get on with it. That's, do you think that these practitioners need to be educated on I barriers think so. that we Definitely, can't. but I still don't feel that that's enough i still feel like there needs to be there needs to be representation yeah. yeah and 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 i think that representation comes from us unlearning these things yeah. because we don't we don't tend to want to do that type of work mm. because it's like delving into territory that it's like a weakness almost do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you want to talk about your feelings? Yeah. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. I, I feel it's like true. I did want to ask though. You see the counselling that you're offering. Is it? Um, do you have a black counsellor? No, she's white. No. And is, do, do you think that has any effect on how you're able to receive that support? Yeah. I kind of I overlook it. I overlook it because I know what I need it for. Mm-hmm. I feel if she. But then, then there's, there's, there's two sides to this coin. I get, have a really good relationship with my psychologist. You know, she's helped me loads. If it was a black person who could recognise my struggle, would I have that same relationship with them? I wonder if it would be more colluded, if that's the right word. Yeah. What do you mean? More, so... When I speak to my psychologist very much, well, I do all the speaking, just say how I'm feeling and what's happened, yada, 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 yada. But what I do wonder at the same time is how I would be received if she were a black person, if it would be, I don't know. I, don't, I know what I'm trying to say in my head. Do you think that black people come with their own prejudices, not prejudices, but like preconceptions about yeah. blackness yeah. and that it's almost like they're kind of preempting what you're... Yeah. Because, you know what, I, I used to... Because I have a, a counsellor as well. It's not bereavement counselling, it's just general psychological support. And um, before I had the one that I have now, I had a white lady. Mm-hmm. And I just felt, this is cold. I don't know, you don't get me. This is weird. This old white lady as well. And mm-hmm. I just felt like, we're miles apart. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything about what I'm going through. So I went to a few sessions and I stopped going. But years later, I then found um, this website called the Black and Asian Therapy Network or something like that. 
and um, you literally can scroll and just select someone. You look at their picture, you can see like, you know, their history, their qualifications, and you choose, you can literally pick <laughs> and then call them. And that's how I chose my one now. She's a black lady. She's slightly younger as well. So she's maybe not old enough to be my mum, but maybe she is because, you know, black don't crack. But um, she, she I, I felt instantly... And I was scared because I was like, I don't want a black woman because then she's going to just be like... Judging. Yeah, she's going to judge me. She's going to come with like anti-judgment. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just like, no, because I don't want that. I'd rather someone who doesn't get it so then I can tell them and then everything will go my way. But then I thought, is that really you opening up? Is that Mm. really you exploring those emotions or is that you kind of censoring it in a way that you think is palatable to whoever you're speaking to? So I just went for the plunge. And this... This lady now, it's the same thing I do all the talking. I think that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I do all the talking, but um, that feels comforting to me. And whenever I've left from her, I'm almost always in tears, but whenever I've left, I always feel a little bit lighter. So I think if you're in a good situation where you feel that you're getting what you need, then that is 100% fine. But if you feel like you're not, Mm. it's always good to try, I think. Because I was scared. I was just thinking, am I going to get my mum? Like, yeah. <laughs> but I suppose the issue when you're seeking, when you're accessing support, is are you going to get somebody who is going to give you the theoretical version, the theoretical solution in textbook. theory? Yeah, the yeah. textbook. You know, the attachment theory book suggests that this is what happens, and then you progress yeah. here, and then you cognitive. And that's, yeah. that's and that's personality. But do you know what you 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 i don't i don't think their role is to give you a solution anyway. No, mm. no, there isn't. But they they'll they will. It's, it's, it's a, their solution comes from the lead, the type of leading questions that they give yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes for it to be an active conversation where you feel like there is a, a dialogue that's going to move you from place A to point to place B, mm-hmm. there has to be a, a space where you feel like you can relate to someone. So even though you're doing most of the talking, her questions suggest to you that there's yeah. a point that you relate. Yeah. But also her the active examples that you give and the active responses that she gives you know you end up marrying somewhere so you do feel like yeah you know what i'm saying Mm, yeah so it doesn't feel textbook so they probably read the same book but she has a lived experience that she can relate to you with and she can articulate that or throw it in somewhere where you know that this person understands who i am or at least yeah isn't talking from a space of i'm i don't know but i think it sounds right yeah i read this in my diversity training yeah yeah i think i think with her as well it's like um it, it feels like, I think for me, it might be psychological as well. Because she's black and I can see that she's black, mm-hmm. it, it automatically feels better. Yeah. Even if she ain't even said anything. Yeah. I feel like, because you know, I, I know you mentioned that recently on your, on your Instagram where you were saying that often when you walk into certain spaces, you're, you're looking to see who looks like you. Yeah. And then you go and you sit next to that person and you feel a little bit better. Why do we feel that way? I think it's that. Because it's like, when I walked into the room and I saw a black lady, and it was like, oh yeah, okay, she looks like a picture. She looks kind. Because she looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, and she looks familiar. But it's when we're, we're, we're most vulnerable. It's, we're not talking about every single aspect of our life. Yes. As, yeah. as a vain woman, when we're vulnerable, we do look for someone that's... Yeah. Of, you know, yeah. Similar. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. similar. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's where it's coming from. The ladies, we could talk about this for, you know, ages, but we do need to um, wrap it up, unfortunately. But we do want to say thank you very much for everyone's experience. I know it was really, really hard bringing up all that trauma. And um, what we want to say to our listeners is that um, 
baby loss in the black and minority ethnic community should not be hidden but instead we should try to normalize it so if you have experienced um baby loss and whether you're black white asian or any type of background um, you should please please feel that you're not alone there are there are organizations and charities out there um shiv is saying herself that she's um accessed it bereavement support through doctors and hospitals there is um Tommy's charity, which I wanted to talk about briefly, is that it offers a mum's baby tour. Well, this is brand new. It's probably why none of us heard about it. And it, they, they're not out there in the hospitals. You have to go searching for it. But if you went onto the Tommy's charity website, um, there is a ba mum's baby tour. And they actually think about the barriers for, from, for BAME women, what they face, and how difficult it is to access mental health services after baby loss and um, postpartum and they strongly rep recommend using it because it you don't need to it's a bit like your website that you went to Ashend, and you don't need to um go face to face with someone or pick up the phone it's a tool on their website that you can you know put your feelings in yourself and then they will come up with something that you should actually get involved with someone near your area maybe an access or service or something mm. so that is something if you're having any issues in any sort of way you're feeling after baby loss you may be feeling okay right now listening to this podcast but um trauma and grief can hit you at any point so talk about it please talk about it uh, there's also other charities that you can um, look at and um, have access to online or through your doctors and i'll put that all on the show notes of um at the bottom of this podcast whether you're listening to it on um, itunes or spotify and please if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe to us, uh, Becoming Us Podcast. You can contact us on becominguspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, tell us how what you think of the podcast. Um, tell us if you'd like to get involved in the next episode. Tell us your experiences. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at, at becominguspodcast or on Twitter at becominguspdcst we couldn't get the podcast sorry <laughs> uh, our next episode is on the subject of pregnancy after loss um if you have any questions you'd like us to address in relation to black and minority ethnic women or women in general who are experiencing pregnancy after loss then please please let us know please get in contact with us at uh, becoming us podcast at gmail.com again all these details will be on the show notes um when you click on this podcast please do subscribe to us um and we look forward to the next one ladies thank you so much thank you can i just add yes. if there's anybody that is listening that does know of charities that support black and ethnic minority um women going through trauma of this kind please let us know so that we can put it out there and reach out and you know because we want everyone to feel that they have a space, a safe space to to express how they feel, irrespective of definitely. That's good. Their point. ethnicity. Thank you so much, guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.